0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Churches The Upper Room. Our podcast discusses Sunday messages from Pastor Don, looks at the recent news headlines and any updates on our congregation and upcoming events. Leading the discussion is our church leadership with invited special guests. We hope you enjoy it and find it informative. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. Now let's get going. Well, welcome to the Upper Room. This is Scott Kimball. I'm one of the elders here at Bible Fellowship Church, and today with me is fellow elder Bob Wren. How's it going from doing the Upper pretty, Room? Yeah, doing pretty good. How about you, Bob? Fantastic, fantastic. That's good. <laughs> I won't say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and also to get uh, with us today is Joseph Summer. Hello. Hey, Joe. Good to see you. Been a little while. Yeah, it's good to be here in the flesh again. It's good. Good to have you. And our sound engineer with us today, Andrew Kimball. Howdy. How are you doing today, Andrew? Uh, It's been a morning so far. (laughs) So been working through a few audio issues. I think we finally got it all resolved. So we'll go ahead and get started. I wanted to start with Don's message on the Sunday message. He went over the beginning part of Isaiah chapter 6 in pretty good detail, and then towards the end kind of summarized a little bit. He did send out a text a little bit later, I guess, after listening to it, wanting to know. It didn't feeling like he really got his point across as best he could. So I just kind of wanted to do that sort of as an opening question, opening quiz, I guess, if you will. You know, what do you think he was trying? What was his point? What was he trying to get across in
1: this particular message so you're not going to tell us that up front no <laughs> we have to go after it right um, the point he was getting across wow yeah, that's
2: <laughs> tough like you could tell you know at the surface level it's you know the destruction of israel but trying to dig deeper into you know what, what's the underlying message there that's tricky
1: well, interesting, he laid out the fact that the uh, first cha- five chapters were actually context hmm. for this chapter 6, where he goes ahead and says, and this was the vision, Right. because he started in chapter 1 with you know the vision. And so now he gets to the vision, and he's got this vision of God being bigger than anything he can imagine in this, filling this temple. And so there was... The thought that there was some you know signaling to to Isaiah that God's bigger than any of the problems that are currently facing Israel, and that he's still on the throne, regardless of what king was on the throne because he went through and at the start you know listed that there were four kings that covered the period of time that he was writing this, and so. There was sort of a, a message there that regardless of who's on the king, what type of leadership it is, whether it's good, bad, mediocre, whatever, God's still on the throne. There is an ultimate outcome to all of this and that God's going to see it through and be true to his word and his promises. And that the other thing I got out of it was there was this um, exchange where Isaiah was like, whoa, woe to me. And it wasn't mm-hmm. like, whoa, god's putting calamity on me it was whoa now that i've seen god with my own eyes mm. how incredibly dirty and filthy i feel for lack of mm-hmm. uh, more ex, you know extra extravagant words and yeah
3: because he had made the point that isaiah was tied to royalty essentially, correct.
1: and so that actually when when he says, I, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a generation of people with unclean lips, he was effectively saying to God, how can you trust me to say the right thing? Because there's, I'm just as likely to say what the people that are in my own um, society have already said. I, I don't feel adequate to do it. And so then there's the touching of the coal on his lips, and God— you know, is telling him that I will see to it that you say the right thing. You say what I'm asking you to say. And then he poses the question, who's going to go for me? Who's going to do this job? And I guess at that point, Isaiah had the, the option of turning it down. Mm. Say, I'm not. Not me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not up for this task. But he did, not he accepted it and went. But I, I think maybe if there was an overall message there, it's that the messenger of God was humble. Hmm. Was humbled by this whole thing. And that to be that, to be somebody who speaks upon God's behalf, whether or not you were Isaiah in that time or an elder at BFC or a pastor at BFC even now, that it requires you to to realize that you're a fallen man or a fallen woman Hmm. and that it requires a great amount of humility to do so. And if you don't have that, then perhaps you shouldn't say anything at all. I don't know what did Don tell you he was after he didn't he kind of you know said
0: I'm not sure I got my point across dot 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 you know kind of thing <laughs> and so he and I I, but I agree and I think with some of what you're saying here I think it spurred some other thoughts in my mind as well is that in this sixth chapter that Isaiah is trying to get the point across he's drawn this contrast you know he's already kind of laid out the case against the leadership of Israel, you know, and, and their, and their main issue was pride. And so he's, he's showing in this chapter by showing the glory and the magnificence of God and, and the power and the authority of God, contrasting to himself, a prophet of God who would also sort of be kind of, you know, high on this sort of totem pole of hierarchy, how humbled he felt And that that maybe should be the right response of Israel, being presented with the majesty of God. So that's kind of what I took away from the beginning. I don't know that that was what Don was shooting for, (laughs) but that's kind of what I thought in
1: listening to it.
0: Any other thoughts on that, guys?
1: Well, I did wake up last night thinking about, you know, within this context of how Isaiah had this grand vision. And I, I thought back around, who else has had visions like this and i thought about paul on the road to damascus and he saw the risen lord as well and how that all took place it was just mag we don't know what he saw he just said he was blinded he was knocked mm. to the ground right. and in that case as well there's a humility involved in all of this and so i i was kind of going over my head how there there seems to be a lot of folks willing to step up and to speak on behalf of God in our generation and say, God has told me this and told me that. And what I don't see is that humiliation that Isaiah showed or that humiliation that Paul showed just naturally because you were in the presence uh, of God, the father of the risen son. Hmm. And the same thing with the picture that, you know, the apostle John gets up into heaven and he's being shown some things he ends up on his face. Yeah, you know? he yeah,
0: has kind of the same
1: response. And even the the, the twenty four elders or the twelve, you know, however many elders are sitting around, they too mm-hmm. are on their face. And so there's, if nothing else, this notion of humility being shown on the part of a man who is given a vision of God.
2: Yeah, there's there's a consistent theme throughout the Bible that when confronted with God, you know, in a vision in that direct interaction you see time and time again you know mankind falls on its face and you know begs for mercy and that that's interesting i think it's interesting just because as humans you know we as we think about the concept of god and you, you read arguments from non-believers and there's a lot of you know well if heaven is just sitting around worshiping this guy who's you know, they view God as the source of all problems on earth. Why would I sit around and worship this guy in heaven (laughs) and kind of paint this picture of, you know, I'm going to talk back to God. And, you know, even as a Christian, you wonder what's going to happen when you get up to heaven, you know, how are you going to react? And I think as we read about, you know, Isaiah and Paul and all, all these people who had interactions and you realize when I get up there, I'm going to fall on my face and, What else can you do? Mm
1: -hmm. Sort of to answer the question that the song poses, you know, will I fall on my face or, you know, dance before you or things like that? I think it'll be a slap on my face. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and how many times have, I can only speak for myself, but have I looked at and thought about some of the things that I've done or lived life in absolute horror? of what i did and who i was before mm. christ and to think that i'm still capable of that mm. as a as a fallen man and it's it is humbling it it just makes me sick sometimes to, to to even think about that and just to shake my head and i i keep around a few things for memories just to remind me where i came from mm. Not because I glory in him, but because I am so grateful that I've been rescued from that. And not because I sought him out, but because he sought me out. I was dead. And a dead man doesn't get up and walk over and save himself. Dead men (laughs) need to be saved. And he saved me. How do I thank that? How do I, you know, eternity won't be long enough for me to thank him for that. It, It won't. I will need all of it. Every second of it. To be grateful and thankful. <laughs> Thankfully, in eternity, there won't be any seconds. I know, so, <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> sort of an oxymoron. Very. Right. Well, and we have, you know, I was saved as a very young person around the age of six. And so, you know, my growth as a believer has always sort of been um, guided by God, you know. And, and I, can, I can look back at times in my life and I began to recognize this pattern that when I began to feel full of myself, overconfident. It seemed like something always happened in my life to kind of knock me back where I needed to be. Pretty much. And I've always felt like that was God's hand on me trying to guide me and 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 push me in the right direction and let me know that, no, you're kind of wandering out of the boundary here. You're getting a little too full of yourself. Let me help bring you back. And I always looked at it even though it was painful at the time. You know, I always looked at it as kind of a positive thing. Sort of kept me grounded in a way. So... Yeah, we can definitely see here in this chapter that you know the the contrast between the glory of God and and even then just the natural nature of the prophet uh, Isaiah. But I wanted to move on a little bit and talk about the actual commissioning and what God told him to to say to the people because it's kind of interesting the way it's phrased in the English Standard Version. Starting in verse nine, it says, "And he said, Go and say this. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand.'" Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eye, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn and be healed. Which I thought was kind of an interesting phrase because I can't really tell on the phraseology there if he's telling them that that they've been blinded, they're not hearing and that God's preventing them from turning back to him because it's already been ordained that this calamity is going to come upon them? Or is he still saying that there is a possibility that they could turn their hearts and be healed?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know we've had this discussion before about, so God's saying, you know, how can we God find them at fault if he's hardened their hearts and closed their eyes and shut their ears? But I think the discussions that we've had have said that There are decisions we make as people that naturally cause our ears to be uh, dumbed down and our Mm. sight to be less than what it used to be. And over a period of time, we consistently make these decisions that result in us not hearing, not seeing, not feeling, not caring. And God is just describing a process sort of in these verses that describe that process that's taken place already. You continue on in a a direction so that the more you continue on in that direction, the more blind you are, the more deaf you are, the more insensitive you are. But there's also the the second coming of Christ in this as well, is that there is a time where your eyes are going to be opened Mm -hmm. and your ears are going to be opened and your heart is going to be opened. And so I think if we don't take that full view into place, we miss everything that he's being is being said here. Is that that is still yet to come? Uh, <laughs> so there is a time coming when that will happen. He will go through the the rest of this book mm-hmm. and reinforce that. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just the groundwork that's being laid for that. Yes, right now you're going to reject it. That that's
0: that's that's coming. You know. <laughs> Well, and I wonder, too, because we know that he did this with Israel's enemies, you know, that he did this with Pharaoh. But I wonder if this, what they're talking about here, is this something unique to Israel because of their contract with him under the Mosaic law? Or is this just to God's people in general or humanity in general that you can find
1: yourself in this state? Hmm, well. I would tend to believe it's more to do with the contract because they had a direct relationship with God. Now we can tie in applications that would apply that we can harden our hearts and all that. But specifically these folks were to, as Don has been you know, going over the weeks, they were to represent God. Hmm. They had signed a deal, a contract with God that he was going to be their God and they were going to represent him to a lost and dying world. And through their representation to him, there, there was going to be ushered in this kingdom of God, you know, mm, right. And that didn't happen. And so there comes a point, and I think this is something else that Don's been saying over the past few weeks. There comes a point beyond which you've gone where you've crossed a threshold. He keeps using that word threshold so that in fact, Israel had in fact crossed a threshold whereby God is, he is loving and good and kind and patient and merciful and all of that. But he's also just Hmm. and he's also righteous. And with that comes satisfying his wrath. And so perhaps they have crossed a threshold at this point in the life of Israel where something had to be done. You know, the discipline, the tool that God was going to pull out of the discipline bag this time wasn't going to be to stand in the corner right. or to have a time out. Oh, no, you were in for a beating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so did that mean he was done with them? Did that mean that they were no longer his people? No, they were still that and every right. bit that. And that's still the case. They, they, they reached that threshold again in A.D. 70 when Rome came in and just cleaned house. They had crossed the threshold because they had re- not, not reduced, refused to have Christ as the Messiah. They right. rejected him. And so once again, they crossed that threshold. Good news is, you know, they do have a point in history, according to what God has told us, where they, their eyes are open and they are going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, because mm-hmm. Christ, Christ says that, and I think in Matthew 25 or, or 24, you know, that they're going to be in this, this, kind of position that they're in until you say blessed is he that comes in the name of the lord and so we're looking for that time right now yeah i got
0: intrigued i started looking back in leviticus looking at this contract and in chapter 26 god lays out a series of corrections i guess you could call it uh curses maybe But where he's telling Israel directly that if you go your own way, you don't follow the statutes and commandments that I've laid down, that I'm going to initially do this. And he lays out what that punishment is. And then if you continue in your own way, I'm going to do this. And so it's ratcheting up the punishment each time until they get to the point where they're at now under Isaiah, where it's to the point where they're they're going to see devastation like they've never seen before that there's just going to be almost utter complete destruction nothing's going to grow on the land it's just going to be left fallow for many years and that he tells them all the way back in Leviticus that this is going to happen and but he also gives a promise in there that I will save a remnant right I will save a remnant and that ultimately you know he's he's And he's got to be true to his promises. He laid out the good things that would happen if they followed him. And he also laid out the bad things that would happen if they kind of went their own way.
1: They chose to go their own way. And so he had to be true to his promises. Yeah. At the end of uh, chapter six, he does mention this remnant. Yep. He brings in the fact that there's this stump of an oak tree that's left there and that it's going to
0: come back. There are the faithful few. Yep. Being true to his word. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, I wanted to touch base a little bit with a couple of news stories this week. Mm. I wanted to start out initially talking about the incident that happened up in Minneapolis. You know, it's kind of been all over the news everywhere and there's still riots and protests and stuff going on around the country because of it. It's kind of renewed. It's kind of interesting how quickly we're no longer talking about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could have been a prophet and predicted that uh, not necessarily that
3: this would be the case, but that some big story would happen in a few months after the whole pandemic thing, it was starting to die down and we all just move on. Cause that's how it always happens with the internet mob mentality. You're always oh, moving yeah. on to the next move thing. on to the
0: next thing. And it, you know, and if you watch the video and I've only seen like little minor clips of it, and I'm not watching the whole thing, but the riots are of what, no, of what happened. Yeah, what no. uh, yeah, what started that video. It Floyd, George, George, Floyd. George Floyd. Yeah, it's it's pretty condemning of that officer. I mean, there's no way you get around it. He he did the wrong thing. I mean, you can clearly see the guy pass out, and at that point, the knee should have come off the neck, and really shouldn't have been on his neck to start with. Um, he did the wrong thing,
3: and all the officers around him did the wrong
0: thing. Right, and they stood around and let it happen. So it's it's not good. You know, they've all evidently been fired charges on the officer that had his knee on the neck. I think it's third degree mm-hmm. murder and manslaughter and all this other kind of stuff they're throwing at him, which is appropriate, I think. But since then, of course, you know, we get the the riots and and actually the peaceful demonstrations I don't have a problem with. You know, I think if people want to peacefully demonstrate and, and show their displeasure at the police department and especially since this particular officer has been in trouble within his own police department multiple times. And serious, several high-profile people could have stopped him along, one of which I guess was Amy Klobuchar, who was one of the presidential candidates for the Democrat Party. She was one of the ones that I guess had an opportunity to, to put this guy out to pasture to get him off the police force and didn't do it. Hmm. You know, so there's just kind of a whole chain of things that sort of built to get to this point. But in the news article I think I sent out to you guys and some of the stuff that I've been reading since, sounds like there's some some more organized agitating going on than just, you know, what we've what we've been seeing and what we're being told in the press.
2: People looking to take advantage of a chaotic situation. They don't particularly care about well, I can't say what motivates them. It seems like they don't particularly care about what happened and they're more just we can go cause trouble. So Yeah, we can take
3: advantage of the yeah, situation.
2: Someone said there are some people out there who just want to break things.
0: Right. They like the chaos. There is some of that. There was also, too, there was the accusation. I think it was the Minnesota, maybe it was the Minneapolis mayor or the Minnesota governor. I can't remember which. But one of them was was saying that they had information that a lot of the people coming and doing the actual rioting were not even Minnesotans. They were people coming in from out of state. Mm. And that it's looked like either the national group Black Lives Matter or Antifa, or some of these others you know were the ones agitating for a more militant response, and doing a lot of the damage. I mean, it doesn't do any good to destroy your own neighborhood because I mean the autozone that got burned and and a lot of the other businesses that got torched, you know they hire local people that are that are in that community now those people have no job, okay, mm-hmm. so in protesting George's death. You now have put more hurt on the community that he came from. And I think even his own wife came out and said, George would not want this. Right. So it's a sad situation. It's not, not good. And it's, it's unfortunate that we have an element within our society that just seems to thrive on the chaos. There's a difference
1: between protesting and rioting. And like you alluded to already, protesting is, is, should be expected. Mm -hmm. You know, for something that happens like that. Rioting should never be an answer to that. And, you know, Martin Luther King, he didn't riot, he protested. Gandhi, he didn't riot, he protested. In fact, neither one of them thought that violence in any way was going to further your cause. Right. You had to have a discussion about what was going on. And so I, I don't understand the rioting part of it. I absolutely embrace the protesting part of it. Because we should all do that when we see an injustice, we should all be out there involved in this. But the rioting, I don't, I don't get, and it's disturbing when there seem to be facts indicating that you know there were charter buses used to bring these people from other other places. Mm-hmm. There's been stuff out there that said there were pallets of bricks put strategically somewhere that they could be used for breaking windows and things like that. How can that be? right how is that furthering what happened in this situation what happened was is you know outrageous but then to to go down and burn down your your fellow citizens properties i just don't understand that that's something i can't grasp
2: i've i've seen some heartbreaking videos of you know someone who's got a downtown local business and they now don't and they're praying that they're going to get enough insurance money to rebuild because it took them everything to get there. And, you know, now where are they, where are they going to go? And they're, you know, hopefully we local communities and even as an entire nation, we can, you know, help these folks who, you know, have lost their livelihoods and rebuild. It's, there's a weird, you kind of got to hold two thoughts in your mind of you know the rioting is bad but what you know nothing has changed if you're an african-american in the last one i saw a picture of the la riots from was it 92 you know before i was alive and you know we're right back where we started and trevor noah who was born in south africa grew up during apartheid and his his perspective on it was not not so much excusing the rioters, but he kind of laid out, you know, society is a contract. We say we're all going to abide by these set of rules, and but you know, time and time again, you know, if you're black and you have an encounter with a police yeah. officer, you should be scared. And when something happens, the rules of society break down. Correct, and so then it, it, it's 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 a weird spot to be in where you're like you shouldn't riot but then society has completely failed you
1: right and and you can't argue on the one hand for the store owner and the store owner being able to reasonably expect law enforcement to protect their store if you also don't look at you know there's a reasonable expectation if you're a young black man that you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt from law enforcement. And so those are the two sides of these things. If if I want to argue about law enforcement stepping up and doing their job, then I need to argue on the other side about law enforcement doing their job and giving everybody a reasonable expectation of doubt when mm-hmm. something comes up. And so I was uh, brita sent me a couple of Ben Watson articles who used to play um, tight end for the Saints. And one article Ben had was he was angry about this he was slap angry about it but then he quoted uh, ephesians he said don't let the sun go down on your anger hmm. and so he was pushing there that whoever we are white black asian hispanic that we if we are believers in christ then we are called to a higher expectation of action and response and that our response Honor reflect our Savior. And so, whatever, regardless of what everybody else is doing, we are responsible to show Christ in this situation, whatever it is, you know, as we speak about this. And then he wrote a second article about having to have the talk with his sons and his daughters, who are all, you know, six, eight, you know, young, youngsters. And he said he remembered having had the talk from his father and the talk he was talking about was is that yeah you're cute now but when you get to be 20 or 25 and you've put on muscle and stuff like that you're not going to get the expectation of reasonable doubt anymore you've got to be aware that chances are pretty good that you're not going to get the same shake that a white guy might get and he's absolutely right Mm -hmm. that's that's where they live at, that's where they come from, you know and and Ben was very eloquently voicing that and how he's gonna have to have that talk with his sons about unless something changes here and you know I, I guess that's kind of where i'm I'm kind of camped out is uh, even though I don't understand the riots and stuff like that, I can understand that there's this perception that you're not getting a fair shake from the laws that have been set up that Mm -hmm. we're all supposed to abide by and and have have agreed to abide by. So there should be a reasonable expectation regardless of your race to get a fair shake, Mm -hmm. you know, just, and I don't know how we get there. I don't, I don't know what that process looks like because it doesn't seem like we're talking about it. No, we're
3: fighting like we do about everything. Correct. Mm -hmm. It just pushes the divide in this country even further. And, you know, that's a whole nother discussion, but, the like the agenda and everything of the media and whatnot it just seems to be to divide people this is just another thing we can fight about and you can't talk right. about it online especially and have a calm rational discussion and i get it a lot of people are emotional it's an emotional thing but like you said how can we get there if it just creates two camps and those camps just fight
0: right well and in both camps always point to the extremes You know, they always, they both point to the, the worst case scenario in either direction. You know, you've got the case like this, you know, that everybody's rioting and upset for. But then on the other hand, you got the case where the police officer is the one who's being attacked or, or whatever. And it's like, well, 95% of the time when there's an interaction between a law enforcement officer and an individual, whether they're black, white, Asian or whatever, it doesn't matter. It goes fine. There's no problem. Right. You know, and. Probably even higher than that. Most likely higher than that. Yeah. I mean, interactions every day, whether it's being stopped for a traffic violation or whatever, you know, normally it goes off without a hitch. You get your ticket, you go on about your way kind of thing. So I don't know. It's, it seems like there's, again, there's an element in this country that really wants to fan the flames on this kind of stuff and make it out to be. And it is bad. I don't want to minimize it at all. I mean, it is bad, and it does need to be taken care of. But the the day after this happened, or maybe within even a couple of days after this happened, we're we're burning down the city. I mean, there, there hasn't been a chance for an investigation. The officers have already been fired. I don't think anybody is out there saying that the, the officers in this were correct in what, what they did or how they handled it. But it's, it's that expectation that there's not going to be any justice that has all these people out. Right burning down the, the towns, and they're doing it in several towns. I mean, they're in L.A., they're in St. Louis, they're, you right. know, Minneapolis, they're all over the place doing the same kind of thing, but it's this expectation that there's not going to be justice. Well, we don't know that. I mean, it sure looks like it's going down to the right. path that there is going to be justice. I mean, if there's a here. place
1: for rioting, maybe it's after charges were dismissed or right. you can verdict yeah. with some ridiculous non-charge. Right. Well, then, yeah, there's-
0: There's reason to be upset then, Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, once the timeline is solidified on this, we can take a look. Because initially, it was just those four officers were fired when the video, you know, within hours of that video coming out, and that historically, you know, police officer gets fired. Okay, we see. Look, we took care of it, and then people who pay attention look a year later, and that officer got hired, police force in the town over, and so I, I, I don't know the timeline on. Was that when the rioting started? Was there rioting before the murder charges? After the murder charges? Because yeah. yeah, there is a pattern that these things get swept under the rug, and you know they people have rightfully stood up and said, in any other situation, you know, you have your neck on another human being, and that person mm. dies, they're not going to fight. You are immediately going to jail, and mm. you know historically that's what's happened, right? And so it'll be interesting to see see the timeline of this and tom was right about you know the the conversations are about the divide not about the solution you know how long colin kaepernick is a controversial figure but how long was he out there kneeling and people were you know ripping each other to pieces over if he should kneel and you know all of that not talking about what he was
0: kneeling over right yeah yeah, that kind of got lost, and I, I'm afraid that's the same thing that's happening here with the rioting. Is that the actual issue of what happened to George Floyd is being lost in all of that? And you know, and I, I got was thinking too about your comment earlier about Martin Luther King. We remember who Martin Luther King was, right? Because he wasn't a violent agitator. He protested, but and he had multiple protests. We think about people like Gandhi. We think about you know, oh, who's the Rosa Parks, you know, I mean, there's there's these names that come to mind who were peaceful protesters who did within We remember them to this day. Can you name one rioter? You know, I mean, we, we know when the riot occurred, but there was no leadership. There was no anything out of that. And I, I'm hoping there will be an investigation to discover who or what organization was behind pushing these rioters to come and do what they did because it seems like there was an organized effort to make this happen.
1: Right. And well I mean we and we got to remember that that's a secondary issue. I mean mm-hmm. the Absolutely. real the real issue is there's this perception that still remains in this country today that there's at least a two-tier justice system. Right. And, and it's not a perception. No, it's reality. I, I don't reality. believe that's a perception. I mean I think there's enough evidence out there where we can say yeah there is a two-tier justice system, probably more than that.
0: Yeah, and you wonder how much of that justice system is based on race. I mean, there's definitely a racial element, but how much of it is based on income? You know, because if you're a person of means and you have power, you have influence in society, there seems to be as different justice for those people than there are for people who right. don't have those kind of resources. And that would
1: be the initial one. And then you can break it further down as you come on down the chain where you get to race being one, mm-hmm. too. And so there's... There's all kinds of separations there. We'd be foolish to think that that's not the case or foolish to think, well, why can't we all just get along and realize that we're all, you know, red blooded citizens underneath the skin color and all that. The reality proves to us that that's not the case.
0: Well, and ideally, I'm hoping and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this on our podcast was to just kind of call to Christians to say, you know, what what should our response be in all this? And I can tell you right up front, your response should not be angry tweets and, you know, Facebook memes and junk like that thrown out there amongst your friends and relatives who know that you're a believer. I mean, we need to be the people who are calling and who are asking for a calm and reasonable discussion of the problem and looking for solutions that actually do bring justice to those involved. I think that's the reality or the bottom line for believers. But I think a lot of times we get sucked into the... The politics of it like everybody else and the emotion and the emotion and end up you know saying and doing stupid things online that really damage our credibility as believers very true all right so any anything else on george floyd nope all right so let's i want to turn the corner a little bit here and talk about something a little more fun we actually put astronauts in space yesterday on our own launch vehicle, so we're not relying on the Russians anymore to get us out to the space station, which is, I think, a very good thing. So that the was Chinese not
1: available? <laughs> yeah, evidently
0: not. I wonder how many Chinese parts there were on that rocket, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably a lot, you know, but that's, that's the technology of today, and it was kind of cool. I was looking at the earlier window in the week when they ended up scrubbing it, and I was watching the NASA channel on YouTube, and they were talking about all the advancements, and they had Elon Musk there talking about all the new technology and everything that they've been able to put into this program and bring to bear. And the differences between even the shuttle, which was, you know, they decommissioned those about 11 years ago, or no, nine years ago. wasn't that long, 2011. And just, you know, the cockpit of those things with knobs and switches and all that kind of stuff versus the cockpit of this new that's all touchscreen. You know, the technology's kind of come a long, long way on that. But it's pretty cool to see, see us putting astronauts back in space on our own equipment. What do you guys think about that? This is a Joe topic, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: this is a... Uh, yeah. So I, I live up in Huntsville, which it, we call ourselves the Rocket City because that's where the Saturn V <laughs> was. We've got a... I don't know if it's a decommissioned Saturn V or just a you know one-to-one scale model, mm-hmm. but you come in on the interstate into Huntsville and the first thing you see is this big Saturn V on the skyline. And,
0: uh, Tested and it's Tested at Dennis Space Center, though. It's...
2: <laughs> and I, I watched the launch and it's just... Awe-inspiring to think about, you know. First of all, you got two guys who have strapped themselves to the top of one of these things, and you don't appreciate on a video screen how big these rockets are. You know, they are huge, and these guys—they're and they're mostly fuel, mostly combustibles, and these guys go, "Hey, yeah, I'll sit on the top of that thing." What could go wrong? Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) And I watched the telemetry as they were going up, and in the first minute, they had accelerated to a thousand kilometers an hour, and then. That was zero to one minute. One minute to two minutes after ignition, they had accelerated from 1,000 kilometers an hour to 5,000 kilometers an <laughs> hour, which is an incredible <laughs> amount of speed to gain in a single minute. It just
3: messes my stomach up thinking about imagine, it. Just
2: <laughs> imagine, you know, what it must feel like to accelerate that quickly. And they were in space in like 15 minutes or something like that. It was crazy.
1: You know, what I thought was interesting in, in the article was – the I always think of launches and delays being totally weather-based. And there was a piece of that decision was on sleep schedules of the astronauts getting up there. Mm. That not only did they not want them to be doing some sort of critical um, function with being sleep-deprived, but they also had to consider what the sleep schedule of the people on the space station was so that when they arrived they arrived where their sleep schedule was going to match up with the sleep schedule of the astronauts already in space and and it it's sort of you know the picture they painted was there was this decision making matrix that was very complex that it you know that all of these things had to line up and you had to keep getting yes 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 and finally, you get to the point where it says, "Okay, launch." Right. And if you got no out of any one of them, then you don't launch. And, and I found that to be amazing because I just always thought, "Well, is it raining? Nope. okay, let's go." Yeah. You know. So what
3: you're saying is that for me to get a a good sleep schedule to fix my sleep problems that I'm having, I just need to go become an astronaut. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, <laughs> no force yeah, that'll me do, to it. do it. Fix uh, <laughs> right do on. it.
0: Of course, you got to lay on a bomb in order to get that, but <laughs> right, you know, pros and cons, right? <laughs> yeah, the when I was watching it, when they scrubbed it the first time, they were talking about I can't remember what the name of what they called the time window that they had in order to launch. But a big part of that was making sure that they had enough fuel to get them to the place where they needed to be, where then they could dock with the space station. If the and if they weren't in that window and the space station wasn't there, it was too far away, they didn't have enough fuel to actually get to it, kind of thing. Mm. And so there's, like you say, there's a lot that goes into when, when they launch and uh, what has to happen in order to make that go. One kind of funny note on it. Did you guys catch the names of the astronauts?
1: Nope.
0: First names of the astronauts, Doug and Bob. (laughs) Right, Bob gets it. <laughs> uh, I mean, Doug and Bob Mackenzie, the Great White North, you are sending Canadians in space. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's How's not going to get eh? it out. <laughs> <laughs> I just it struck me as funny when I you know, when I was watching the thing and they kept referring to to Bob and Doug, and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you couldn't have wrote that. <laughs> no,
1: which will take you automatically into a red green analogy, right? You right? come on, they're all exactly. Canadian, huh? exactly.
0: All that. Clean, funny stuff. Anyway, seems to come from Canada. <laughs> so, well,
1: but you know, and this sort of seems to be America's reintroduction into the space race and all that. And my, as my dad always loved to point out to me, because at, at one point I was like, well, you know, why are we wasting money on this? Thing? Ah, for crying out loud, my tax dollars at work, yeah. And uh, why do we need a space program? And he so aptly pointed out that where do you think all the technology that you're enjoying right now came from? Yeah. huh? Where do you think that came from? Where are these laptops? And all that? You think that's because people wanted to sell laptops? No, it, it started in the space race. It's like. And <laughs> a I new had perspective. To, huh? I respected <laughs> that. Yes, dad, you're right.
0: It's very true. There was a couple of things that I thought about as as far as the. The launch went uh, the main thing was that partnership between spacex and nasa and one of the things that we've been seeing out at stennis space center here in mississippi is that they're reorganizing stennis space center they've got this big 10-year plan down the road and it's going to involve creating this big uh, commercial corridor down the middle of part of trent Lott parkway and that what they want to see happen is they want to see all these companies like SpaceX, these private companies that are wanting to do space exploration type stuff so that there will continue to be this partnership that's working between NASA and and these private companies, which I think is pretty cool. And I think that will actually push the technology and everything forward much faster than if they just left it to NASA to do it. Unfortunately, NASA is one of those agencies that's kind of gotten caught up in their own bureaucracy, and I think it's made it more difficult for them to move their technology forward. So I think having these partnerships with private companies is, is pretty cool, and hopefully it'll be a model for other federal agencies to be able to do similar things, have more of a public-private partnership to solve issues and and take care of things within our country. I did think, though, that, you know, one of the things it's the that thought we were talking about this idea of glory a while back, one of the Sunday mornings when I was preaching. And, and you know, I've often wondered, often thought that, you know, maybe when this is all said and done and we've when we've had the millennial kingdom and we've got the glorified bodies and all that, maybe part of our time spent in eternity is just going to be exploring this creation that God has created. I mean, we know it's an expanding universe. There's lots of it we've never seen even through telescopes or other means, you know, maybe that'll be one of the things we'll be able to do is is to explore. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we have such a heart as humanity to explore, to, to try and understand and, and see and visit these places. So I don't know something to think about. So any, if there's uh, anything else we want to talk about today, Joe saying no. So being our guest today, Joe means you get to close us out in prayer. Okay, <laughs> that wasn't in the notes. I'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Got to, to my, my best
2: on the spot powers. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity for us to gather and talk. I pray for uh, our nation after this past week. We're in a a difficult time, and I pray that w- through your guidance we could find peace and find the way to a better road forward, and that. The christians among the nation would be good good examples and reflections of you and that we can avoid temptation to give into our baser emotions during this time i also thank you that we had a positive story this week you know we were reminded to look to the heavens and beyond and at the the wonder you created and to you know remember just how truly Big, our universe is and that you created it all for us. Thank you for all these things.
0: Near pray. Amen. 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 I hope you enjoyed our discussion today and found it thought provoking. The Upper Room is a Bible Fellowship Church production. The opinions discussed by our guests are just opinions and random thoughts at the time of recording and do not necessarily reflect the doctrine or stated beliefs of Bible Fellowship Church.